So I don't know, when you look back over the last hundred years of, um, of, of, a, of people that are well regarded among almost anyone, it's hard to find a lot. It's hard to find uh, you know, more than a handful of folks that across religious backgrounds, across political backgrounds, people admire. And there's one in particular, I've noticed a guy you've probably heard of named Gandhi. Gandhi's almost universally known and universally celebrated because of his commitment to peace and his, his struggle for Indian independence from the colonial powers. And everybody's heard of Gandhi, but I bet fewer of you have heard of this man right here. Look at this picture. This man is Dr. E. Stanley Jones. Anybody heard of E. Stanley Jones? E. Stanley Jones. Uh, you look at that guy and you think, that's not someone real influential. That looks like, if you've ever been to like your grandmother's church, so they have that framed picture of these old people kind of together. That's what that looks like, doesn't it? It looks like just this old school guy. Well, this guy doesn't look like much, and he looks like just an old uh, random religious guy, but he is an absolute revolutionary. Around the turn of the, of the 19th century, in 1905, he went to Asbury College. He started out going to get his law degree, and he went to Asbury, transferred there right up the road, and a group of his friends were praying one night, and, and this revival broke out at Asbury, like this spiritual awakening where people, people's lives were changing. This is a Christian college. It's not like this is a bunch of pagans and stuff, and so even among this, this bunch of Christian people, they, there was this massive revival of, of repentance and confessing sin and, and movement of the Holy Spirit. And then, so he, he graduates and then joins the staff, but then feels God's call on his life to, to go to India. He feels this passion for the, for the country of India. So he moves, take, moves over there by himself. He ends up meeting a wife over there and marrying another missionary. And he spends almost his entire life as a missionary in India. Now, during this time, this is colonial England, India. This is India that was oppressed by um, by the uh, the English powers, and so it was it was not a pretty picture for a Westerner to come in and begin to talk about your religion because there was an experience of Christianity equaled the oppressors, equaled the colonial powers, and so when, when people thought about that or heard about Christianity, there was automatically this barrier culturally. So it was there that he actually befriended Gandhi. Him and Gandhi became good friends, and, and he set out to learn from Gandhi. They had several correspondence and, and talked on several occasions, so much so that after Gandhi was, was uh, murdered, he wrote a biography about Gandhi. He knew him well enough to write an entire biography. This biography was the biography that Martin Luther King Jr. read and inspired him to uh, follow the path of nonviolence. This guy right there is the one who wrote a book that inspired Martin Luther King Jr.'s, Jr.'s uh, nonviolent movement. I find that so fascinating. So, so Gandhi, as he's interacting with E. Stanley Jones, uh, and they're talking about how he could better uh, communicate the gospel to India in a way that separates it from those colonial powers. This is what Gandhi told him in one of his letters. He says, I would suggest first that all of you Christians, missionaries and all, must begin to live more like Jesus Christ. That was probably a big part of the issue happening in India, is that a lot of the folks that claimed Christianity were English oppressors. oppressors. So for, for Indians, if you were going to become Christian, essentially for them it meant you had to become 
English in order to become Christian. You had to, to, to culturally convert to a completely different reality. And E. Stanley Jones was, was revolutionary in that he did not force Indians to become uh, Americanized or Westernized versions of themselves. He, he really translated the gospel into Indian culture. Gandhi is famous for saying, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's, a, that's pretty hardcore. Um, and true, is it not? And true, do we not see in our cultural several very clear examples of people who are claiming Christ, claiming the gospel, and yet in no way whatsoever their lives reflect this? There's cultural Christianity. I've heard of my friends who are Jewish saying, I'm a non-practicing Jew. And you never really hear people talk about non-practicing Christians, but in our culture, that's actually pretty common. There's people who are culturally Christian who claim to be a part of the Christian faith, but their lives, in fact, have zero connection to the Jesus that they actually profess. There's, there's no behaviors or languages or practices that actually show any faith whatsoever. That's what the Indian people saw in the impressive people who were holding them down. And for, for many people, the barrier today is the same thing that, that, that Gandhi saw. They, they like Christ. They are intrigued by Jesus. But when they look at the lives of Christ, Christians, there is a gap between belief and practice. There is a space between the good news that apparently we have received and a lifestyle that would reflect that kind of news in our life. So if we weren't here last week, we started this series called Simple Gospel, which is all about uh, the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians is, a, is an, an experience of the baggage that religious, religious people put on folks, complexities that religious people throw on top of folks. And Paul's writing Galatians to some very religious people who are, are distorting the gospel, are, are taking the message of Jesus and adding lots of things that are just unnecessary baggage to it and making it complicated. And so the whole series, Simple Gospel, is about taking those religious complications, taking those complexities, and bringing it down once again to what simply the good news of Jesus actually is. We talked about how the gospel is an announcement, not of what we have to do to impress God, but of what God has done on our behalf through Jesus. Scott McKnight, he is a scholar. He puts it this way. He says, the gospel is the work of God to restore humans to union with God and communion with others in the context of community for the good of others and the world. And if this is true, and we certainly believe this is, then this changes everything, doesn't it? This changes every single place in our life. This is not a truth that we just kind of put in our pocket or, or hang on our shoulder as an accessory to the rest of our success in our lives. This is a truth that of Jesus bringing restoration to not just us, but all things. And if that is true, it literally changes the way we see our world. For instance, if you win the lottery, as much as you would enjoy a corn dog at Sonic... I'm pretty sure you're going to Malone's for the filet mignon, aren't you? That news changes everything. You're not going to go back for a corn dog anymore, are you? Maybe you will. Maybe you just really like those corn dogs. But when filet mignon is available to you, when you have the ability, when that news has hit you, it changes everything. 
Our existence from the inside out is different because of this news. And so what Gandhi saw and what we should see here is this disconnect between what we profess to believe and the life we continue to live. If there is that disconnect there, we have to see and begin to ask the question for ourselves, why is this news not changing every aspect of our lives? And if we're honest, all of us in here, we have that gap, don't we? In different degrees, we have a gap between what we believe and how we live, don't we? Are we honest? Does anybody here have that gap completely closed? If that's you, you're Jesus, or you are crazy. <laughs> Everyone has that gap between what we believe. You don't even have to believe in Jesus or be a Christian. Whatever belief system you have, you are definitely not living up to it fully. No one is living up to this, this, any belief system that they have fully in their lives. They are letting it down. And so even for Christians, there is a gap between what we believe and what we are living. Sometimes it's glaring. And you see it in the scriptures, in Galatians in particular, in, in one of the most unlikely places. And that is in the life of the apostle Peter. There's this story, this interesting story in Galatians that Paul tells. And it's where he's confronting Peter about something he's doing. Now, this is Jesus's, one of his best friends, one of his three closest allies. This is the same Peter that just 18 years before Paul is writing this, preached a sermon where 3,000 people are saved. That's massive. The very next chapter, he's walking along and sees a beggar and says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And the guy gets up. I mean, there's miracles upon miracles. God breaking him out of prison with an angel. Amazing things. And yet there is still, as we will see, a disconnect in Peter. A gap between what he believes and what he's living. And Paul addresses it. So let's look, if you have your Bible, you have your app, or whatever you want to do here, look on the screen. Galatians chapter, chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, when Cephas, which is uh, Peter's other name, his old name, Peter's actually the name that Jesus gave him, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So here's what's happening here. In the, we see in the book of Acts that Antioch was one of the first uh, cities, this is where this whole conflict is happening, where the church was truly and fully multicultural where it was different races and different cultures coming together as one uh, fully and finally. It was a beautiful picture. And so Peter is living in this reality, in this multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And then all of a sudden, some of the Jewish Christians come from, from Jerusalem, the ones who are practicing the Jewish law, the ones we talked about last week that says, don't just believe in Jesus Follow the whole Mosaic law too. If you want God to really bless you, if you want God to actually see you as, as holy and blessed, you have to follow all of these 613 Old Testament Mosaic laws on top of Jesus. 
which included dietary restrictions, which included who you can actually eat with and who you can't eat with. And they were putting that on people who were not Jewish, who were Gentiles. Circumcision, again, that's a little harsh to have to get circumcised as an adult for, for to belong, to, 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 to believe in Jesus. That's awful to have to do that. But that's what, as they come up, Peter kind of decides, I don't want those people to think I'm not holy. And so I'm going to start forcing the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, to live in that same way. And so it began to form a rift in the church. All of a sudden, because of these holy people, they now had a, a religious and racially segregated church. The line was drawn between Jews and non-Jews. And so you had in the same city, probably in the same vicinity, the same building, a, a Jewish church sitting on this side of the house and a Gentile non-Jew church sitting on this side of the, the house. And that is a tragedy. Any segregated church is a tragedy. Any culturally or racially or age segregated church is a tragedy. And Paul's response to Peter in bringing about this segregation and bringing about this religious baggage that he's putting on these people is interesting. He doesn't give him cultural reasons. Listen to what he says. He says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... So it wasn't about morals or behavior modification. It, it, it was about how good news had affected Peter's life. And there was now a gap in the way what Peter professed to believe was not showing up in his life. And remember, this is Peter. Amazing. One of Jesus' best friends, almost two decades after his life, still expresses this gap in his life between what he professes and what he believes. Because racism and racial segregation is what? Wrong. It's evil. And it's evil not because a cultural reality around us says it. It's evil to us at its heart because it goes against the truth of the gospel. It's not living in line with the truth of the gospel. We learn a lot about this statement from Paul, the way he addresses this gap. Because what he's telling us is essentially, you need to realign yourselves with the news that you actually believe to address these places within you. If the gospel is simply your personal experience of God saving your little soul for going to heaven when you die. It's just exclusively focused on the afterlife and your own personal life. Jesus just came just to save you from your sins, just to, so you could stay here on earth until you go to heaven when you die. You have to act good. You have to vote for the right people. You have to just try to stay holy around all these sinners all around us. That's not the gospel. The gospel affects every area of our life, not just the personal sin areas, but the areas that we sometimes, like Peter, in the horizontal relational realities of our life, need to address. The gospel, what it actually is, is it's an announcement of a triumphant king who has overcome our sin, yes, and overcome death once and for all, but he's also establishing a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom in this world. It's not just Jesus died for our sins. That's true, and thank you, Jesus. But it's also Jesus is Lord. 
All authority on heaven and earth has been given to him. That means Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. That no nation is Lord because Jesus is Lord. No president is Lord because Jesus is Lord. There is no ruler or power or principality that stands because Jesus is Lord. It's bigger than just he saved our sins. He's restoring people like us and bringing restoration to the whole world. He teaches us to pray Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On this earth, bring that reality of heaven right here. That's good news, isn't it? That's better news than just Jesus saved you personally from your sin just to get you to heaven. It is that, but that is too small of a gospel. There's so much more, so, so much more. And what that means, if we, if we kind of lay this out in a practical sense, it means that our life here on earth is now the continual process of allowing the good news of Jesus, allowing the gospel to transform every single area of our lives to reflect his kingdom reign. So our, our lives now in Christ is all about closing that gap of allowing good news to touch every single area, both horizontally in our relationship with God and or vertically, excuse me, and horizontally in our relationship with others. It's everything. That's what discipleship is, is that the, the Christian life is essentially closing that gap between belief and practice in every single area. I want to show this picture on the screen here because it affects everything. It affects the way we see God. The gospel transforms the way we see God. It transforms the way we see ourselves, and it transforms the way we see others. If our gospel is only about saving us from our personal sin to get to heaven, we miss so much of what it's speaking into our lives. So for instance, the gospel transforms the way we see God. And so now we see him not not as some faraway, distant, angry man, but he's like a pursuing father who is always seeking us out with his love. Just like the, the Luke 15 prodigal son, he's always pursuing us. We see him in Jesus and the restoring son, the one who has come to bring us back to life, to give us new life in him. We see him now as the empowering spirit, not just the one who says, come to me and you'll get power, but I've put power in you because I live in you now. The way we see God is transformed by the gospel. Secondly, the way we see ourselves is transformed. My identity now as as a human being is secure. I don't have to look out to the rest of the world to find my identity. All of a sudden, that is fully and firmly secure. My sexuality is no longer about my personal desire and self-fulfillment. My desires no longer define me. They no longer form my identity. It's a part of me given to glorify God. Not just my sexuality, but my emotions. My emotions are important, but that my emotions don't define me either. They don't drive me because God has has begun the process of transforming my emotions and who I am. My gifts and my abilities are not given to build me up or not given to make me famous, but to make Jesus famous. And then finally, my, my money and my resources, like Kelly was talking about earlier, are not to bless me. They're to bless the world. The gospel touches all those areas of how I see myself and who I am. And finally, the gospel transforms the way I see others. He transforms the way I see my family because some of our families are screwed up, aren't they? Amen? 
And so now I know that God can redeem any situation. And I know even more so that in the church, I have a family that goes deeper than blood. I have people I can belong to when my family is really screwed up. I can belong to at least a less screwed up family in the church. Screwed up in different ways. My relationships are different. The way I have friendships are different because of the good news of Jesus. I, I don't come to people for what I can get out of them. I come to people for how I can love and how I can serve them. My marriage is different. It's not about self-fulfillment, marrying the person that's going to make me the best person in the world. It's about how I can lay down my life for my spouse. The gospel transforms the way I see my enemies, the people who vote differently than me, the people who look differently than me, that believe differently than me, that watch other news channels than me. I don't condemn them. I don't stand in places of outrage, but instead the gospel says, love your enemies. I see the people who are different from me, totally different because of the good news. All of a sudden, I'm not filled with constant outrage because people don't think the way I do. Because the gospel has changed me. The gospel changes the way I see race. All of a sudden, I know that every single race on earth is, is an image bearer, full of dignity and worth and value. So when I see examples in, in places of racism and, and segregation, I run into those places and seek to bring reconciliation because I know it's an offense to the gospel to, to deny a, a dignity and value to people who are not image bearers based upon their race. The church should be the people who run into those places because the good news has transformed the way I see other races as well. And gender as well. We don't objectify women. We don't use women for our own gain. We see women as valuable and equal to us. And so we lift them up and empower women and see men and women empowered in the church. Why? Not because it's a political issue, but because the gospel, the good news, has changed the way we see our reality. There's not a place in our lives. There's not a molecule in our lives that is not touched by this news. It touches every single thing. That's why Paul says in Galatians 3, one chapter over, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Every single place in our lives is touched by the gospel. So listen, if you want to just believe Jesus saved you from your sins and hold on to maybe one of those few places in your lives that you want to just keep for yourselves, you're not allowing the gospel to touch those places. You're not allowing the good news to transform. Go back to that, to that screen there once again there. What I've noticed, the, the one before that, go to that, that picture there. What I've noticed is that certain uh, uh, cultural and political areas, one might like one over the other. One might say, yeah, you need to do that. Like the, some might like the social realities that the gospel speaks into. Yeah, let's go out and let's end racism. Let's, end, let's bring gender equality. And we love that. But don't talk about my sexuality. Don't talk about my emotions. Don't talk about those things. And then the other side, they love talking about sexuality all the time. Yeah, the gospel speaks into that. But don't you dare make me treat my enemies differently. Don't you dare make me deal with racism and gender inequality. The gospel, what I love about the gospel is that it is an equal opportunity offender for people who want to find their identity in political places. 
both Democrats and Republicans, you will get offended by the kingdom of God when you live into it. I love that. I love it. You should feel, I think personally, you should feel sometimes very politically homeless because the gospel is offending everybody. It offends everyone because the kingdom is different. The kingdom is different. So if you want to hold on to that little place where, yeah, just let, it, let me save me from my personal sins, but I'm not going to let it touch these areas of my life. Well, you're not going to get the fullness of the good news. And the truth is, is that every one of us in here, let's be real, have something up there or something around those areas or maybe something that's not even up there that, that if we're just gut level honest, we don't want to let the gospel touch. We don't want to let it get in. Because we've been formed like Peter by cultural identities and religious identities that have become stronger for us than the gospel has. That's what happened to Peter. You know why uh, some think, the scholars think, that he wanted them to become Jewish? Because if you were Jewish, you didn't have to live by the Roman laws of worship. Jews didn't, weren't persecuted because they gave, they gave them preferential treatment because they knew that the Jews wouldn't worship the, the gods. But if they became Christian, all of a sudden, not only did Jews not like them, the Romans and the Greeks didn't like them either. So to become a Christian in Jesus' day in Galatia meant that you were going to get persecuted. You were going to have political and social pressure all around you. And so maybe in one way, Peter is telling these people to become Jewish so you don't have to deal with the reality of everybody not liking you. That could have been what was happening there. See, the problem is, is that there's a gap between our good news that we claim and the belief that we continue to live. And we have to fill that gap. Every single one of us in here, if we're just gut level honest, know there's a gap in me. There are places I have not allowed the Holy Spirit to speak good news into. I've been formed by something outside of me more than I've been informed by the good news within me. That's how the gospel works itself out in our lives. You know, when we talk about serving the homeless, when we talk about serving kids and families in our neighborhood, it shouldn't be because that's how we should live. It should be because I have seen good news. And because good news has changed me, it's changing the way I see children and women and families in our neighborhood. And so I will go and I will bring that good news to them. So we have to ask a question as we close it. How do we close that gap? How do we close the gap between what we profess to believe and then how we are living our lives? Uh, what the people in Galatia that were coming after Paul would tell you is just try harder. Work harder. Do more Bible study. And then you'll do it. Do more. Try harder. They will give you religious ideas of how to do it. They'll say, pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps and just try harder. How many people have tried that before? How many people know that doesn't work? It doesn't. Trying harder religion never, ever does. The truth is, on our own, we can't close this gap. We cannot. 
And as we continue in Galatians, we're going to see a lot more of how Paul is speaking into these realities and changing the way how we, we, we lay down our old self and become new. We're going to be speaking into that, and it's so, such good news that we're going to be getting into later in Galatians. But the end of Galatians 2, he gives us a clue of where we're heading. This, this verse may be the, the, the thesis of the whole book, so hold on to this verse. It's amazing. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now I live that life I'd live now in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do we change our life? We change our life by laying it down. We live by dying. Paul says a transformation is not by our power, but the presence of Christ. I don't live now, but Christ lives in me. And the way that Christ lives in us is by us just saying, I lay my life down. Jesus says, if you want to find your life, you'll lose it. You'll take up your cross and you'll follow me. It's not trying harder. It's, just, it's, it's surrender. It's just laying down your life. Because as we die, Christ becomes alive in us. I used to say this, this phrase, I just need more of God in my life. You ever said that? You ever got, like, gotten those broken places? I just really need more of God in my life. And what I've learned, especially as we've studied Galatians, what I've learned is that I don't need more of God in my life. Because in Jesus, God has given all of himself to me. We don't lack anything. God's not holding himself back. He's not saying, here, I'll give you a little piece, and when you get your act together, then, then I'll give you a little bit more of me. No, God has given all of himself in Jesus Christ to all of us. He has given us everything. There's nothing in Christ that we do not have access to. We have it all. We just need less of us. See, it's us that's crowding it out. It's, it's our desires and our wants and our needs and making us the center of the universe that crowds out the reality that Jesus has given all of himself. And when we lay ourselves down, that's when the fullness of who God is comes to light. We don't need more of God. We just need less of us. Religion says, you need more of you. You need to try harder. You need to do more. Give me more of you. But the gospel says, I need less of you. I just need more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. John the Baptist famously said as he saw Jesus walking towards him for the first time, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist at that point was, was a, a rock star. He was the one that everybody was looking to as the spiritual leader. But as soon as he saw Jesus, the first thing he said was, he must become greater and I must become less. When I see him, when I see him for who he is, the only natural thing I can do is say, I need more of you and I need less of me. Less of me. So as we head into communion today, I want to challenge us in this. We're going to pray together around this verse here, the, these words from John 3.30, the words of John the Baptist, because that's a prayer that all of us in some manner or fashion need to pray. We need to become less and Jesus in and through us needs to become greater and more fully alive in us. So we're going to leave that verse on the screen there. He must become greater 
and I must become less. And, and I just want to take some time and pray into that. Pray through that verse for us as we move into a time of reflection here. So Lord, we see the spaces between, the gaps between the good news that we profess and the life that we live. And we come to you not in shame, we come to you knowing, Lord, that by your grace, as we give you our lives, as we lay them down, we know, Lord, that you will make us alive. The paradox of the Christian faith is that less of us is the most alive that we will ever be. So, Lord, those of us who have struggled with climbing a ladder of success, trying to do more and be more and try harder, today we just say, I give up, I surrender. It's not about me. I just need to surrender what I'm doing, how I'm trying, and I need to allow you into the places in my life where I'm, I'm afraid of what would happen if you come in and change me. I've found my identity in these places. I've found my purpose in these places beyond you. And Lord, I know that if you touch them, you're gonna transform them. And I don't like not being in control. And so Jesus, today I take the risk of simply allowing you into the places that I'm scared to. And allowing the good news of Jesus, that you are restoring people who restore the world. Allow that to transform every single area of our lives. So I just want to encourage you right where you're at here, just, just to personally speak those words out. He must become greater. I must become less. When you want to say it out loud, if you want to say it to yourself, just say that to yourself. He must become greater. I must become less. He must become greater. I must become less. Jesus, I speak that over our church. We don't want the name of restoration to be greater. We want your name, Jesus, to be greater. We don't want people to look and say, wow, how great that church is. We want to look and say, man, how great their God is. What a great God that they serve. Come to you, we lay down our lives, trusting that you're going to fill us up and give us more than we could ever ask for or imagine. Thank you, Jesus, for good news that transformed every area of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response.